great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's very good to see each one of you. Just a couple of announcements that I wanted to call to your attention this morning. First of all, uh, summer is upon us. It's only a week of school left. If uh, you are a teacher, it is quite exciting. Uh, if you're a parent, then God bless you for taking your kids home this summer. Uh, but our church is going to be having uh, an alternate schedule for the change of the season. Uh, there is a, a summary of that in your bulletin. Uh, many things will not be meeting on Wednesday nights during that period. Uh, however, uh, if you are interested in doing a senior adult Bible study, uh, Brother Jim Amick is going to be offering that if we can get a group of people to sign up. And so there's a sign-up sheet. Uh, check that out. And if you're interested on, in continuing to come on Wednesday nights uh, over the summer. A couple other things I wanted to call to your attention uh, is that we will be having an adult Sunday school teachers meeting tomorrow evening at 6.30. So if you're an adult Sunday school teacher or assistant teacher, teacher uh, looking forward to seeing you there tomorrow. Um, and also, uh, Roy Hopkins and his family have asked for prayers for him. He has just been moved to ICU at uh, VCU. Uh, I believe it was either late last night or early this morning. And so since he's in ICU, he's uh, asked to hold off on the visits for now, uh, but don't hold off on the prayers. And so please be lifting up him and his health and his family uh, during this time. We also want to continue to remember in prayer the families of those uh, this past week as we continue to mourn the loss of our children uh, throughout our nation. And so I want to continue to ask you all to keep them in your prayers uh, and uh, just lift them up before the Lord. Um, I'm looking for Rob. Is he in the building? Okay. Uh, well, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll continue in our time of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you today, and Lord, we just want to lift up those who are hurting, many of the families who have lost children in not only this past week, but in this past year. Please be with each one of those families. Give them comfort and strength. Lord, I want to lift up Brother Roy. Just ask that you continue to have your hand upon him and his health, that you would guide his recovery, bring clarity. Uh, to what the problem is and, and bring forth a solution. And Lord, we are, are here this morning to give you honor and praise. You are the focus of why we are here, because you are worthy. And God, we pray that everything that comes out of our lips and meditations of our hearts, not only here in worship, but every day of the week, would glorify and honor you and that you would receive it as an act of worship. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful day today after all this wonderful rain that we've had, but I'm so glad that the sun is shining this morning. And I'm really so glad to see that Susan and Jim are back in our congregation this morning. And waiting for her to get better so she can come back and lead you all again because I know she's better at it than I am. But we're going to continue our worship with uh, starting with hymn number 581. 
we have heard the joyful sound, then we're going to greet each other with the love of Christ, and then we're going to flip over to 531 Redeemed. So when you have found hymn number 581, please stand if you are able.
ask Drew to go ahead and come up. He's uh, our director for Young Life, and he has uh, brought one of his students with us to share about uh, the ministry of Young Life and the impact uh, that it's making on students, not only across our county, uh, but throughout the world. Good morning. Good morning. You guys are so good at that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm a little tall. I'm going to lean over a little bit. Uh, my name is Drew, as you said. My last name is unpronounceable. Um, I am the area director for Young Life in Louisa County. Uh, and I want to start off by just saying thank you so much um, for all of your guys' support. I know many of you um, who go here. Um, and just through all of your financial, spiritual, and emotional support, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, what I do and the lives that get changed at the high school are largely in part uh, because of many of you in this room um, and at the other service. So thank you so much. I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning to explain a very, very brief summary of what Young Life is and does in Louisa, and then we're going to have an amazing treat. We're going to hear from one of my good friends, Emily, um, over here, who is actually a current rising senior at LCHS. Uh, so what is Young Life? Young Life is a nonprofit youth outreach ministry. Um, in Louisa, we've been around for about seven years at the high school, uh, but Young Life Worldwide has been going on for over 75 years and is currently in over 100 countries worldwide. Um, so it is quickly growing abroad and uh, very much in this town as well, um, with meetings every week where we'll have anywhere between 50 to 80 kids showing up um, to hear the gospel and have fun uh, just being kids. Um, regardless of if you see Young Life happen in China or in Europe or in here, it's all the same. We fall under the same mission, and that is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and to help them grow in their faith. Uh, we do this in a lot of different ways, but ultimately we believe in a very personal, relational form of ministry. Um, we don't come here to reinvent the wheel. We kind of look at the Gospels of how Jesus lived life on life with people. He entered into their broken worlds entered into their dirtiness um, and loved them in such a way uh, and shared truth with them so that they could have the opportunity to follow him and live a life to the full. And that is what we aim to do as Young Life leaders. Um, myself and our female volunteer leaders, uh, Hannah Anderson and Amy Meadows, are also leaders at the high school. It is not uncommon to see Young Life leaders at football games and in the classrooms and coaching the sports teams. We want to go to where kids are at um, and reach them. Young Life is not uh, a youth group. We love youth groups, but that's what churches are for, and we, we definitely want to funnel in the kids that come to Young Life into a church to get them plugged in for the long haul. Uh, but our mission is to reach those kids that might not otherwise have an opportunity to hear the gospel, who may have either been to church and didn't come back or never even went in the first place. Um, so we really want to go out there and earn the right to be heard and share the gospel with them and show them how exciting a life with Jesus can be. Um, and we do this in a lot of different ways, but I'm not going to take up a few hours explaining all of them. I could explain um, our club meetings, which I said happens every week during the school year. Um, that's every Monday night. It's called club. Um, it's kind of like a party with a purpose where kids just come and get to be kids and be goofy and silly, but also get to hear the whole gospel proclaimed every single week. Um, I could talk about campaigners, which is our form of a Bible study where kids meet before school in the mornings. Um, every week and just kind of dive deeper in their faith and learn how to pray for their lost friends and go back into the high school and reach them. Uh, I could talk about camp, 
which is an uh, amazing, amazing experience that's actually coming up next month for us, uh, and we get to go twice a year. Um, or even our committee, which is our adult ministry team of adults in the community that support us and volunteer their time. I could talk about all these things, but ultimately, I think the most powerful um, thing that we can see is personal testimony. Um, so instead of just talking about the what is Young Life, I want to share with you who is Young Life. Um, and we see students come in through Young Life all the time. And this morning, we're going to get a hear um, from one of my good friends, Emily. So I'm going to ask her to come up, um, and she's going to share a little bit of her testimony and what God has been doing in her heart over the past couple semesters. So let's give it up for Emily. Hi, guys. Uh, like Drew said, I'm Emily. I'm 17 and a rising senior at the high school. So growing up, I never grew up in the church. I went to church every now and then with my parents because they're religious. They were religious and I never felt a connection when I was there. I never felt like I, I never understood what was going on. And like I know the pastor would like stand in the front of the room and talk about this guy named Jesus and I never really knew why because he died so long ago. Like I didn't know why we're still talking about him because no one had taken the time to explain to me and I didn't care enough to understand. So all that questioning and uncertainty in my life drove me to reject religion. And when I got to middle school, I started calling myself an atheist. And that was a really low point in my life, I think, looking back at it, because I was so angry and I felt so alone all the time because my whole belief system was based on the idea that everyone else was wrong and there was nothing out there and there was no God and that we were all here for no reason. Um, so that was a really negative part of my life, but about a year ago, I, my heart started changing, and I started, I went through a really hard time, and I started thinking, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if there is a God out there, and all this stuff I've been telling myself isn't true? And that was really scary for me to think, because that means everything I believed would have been wrong, and I, I didn't know what that meant, so, but I was still willing to find out. Um, so, summer passes and fall comes around, this past fall, my friends invited me to Young Life for about the hundredth time. And this was the time I said yes, because my heart had changed so much that year that I wanted to see what it was all about. And I saw that my friends had been changing and growing in their faith, and it had been really good for them. So I, took it, I gave it a shot, and I went. And I went to almost every club in the fall. And every Monday night, I got to hear more and more about this guy named Jesus, and I learned who he was and what he did for us and how that could change my life. And fall weekend came around, and I got to go. And basically, you go to Young Life, Young Life Camp for the weekend, and you spend it with kids from all over the state, and you hear from so many speakers and people just more about this Jesus guy. And I got a chance to see what my life would look like if I lived a life with Christ. So... At the end of the weekend, our speaker that we'd been hearing from stood up and said, if anyone wants to stand up, um, if your heart has been changed, if you decide to give your life to Christ this semester, stand up and say so. So I got to stand up in front of all my friends and say, my name is Emily, and this semester I decided to give my life to Christ. So that was a really powerful, life-changing moment for me. Um, after that, I jumped into campaigners and... I got to share the gospel with my friends and dive even deeper in my faith, and I was the person chasing after my friends, like my friends that chased after me. So, and through Young Life, I found a new church that, I go, I go to the point in Charlottesville, and I really like it, and 
I never thought that I'd be able to go to a church and feel comfortable and welcomed. And that's really been amazing for me. And through Young Life, I've made a family and I have a personal relationship with Christ now. And I never have to feel alone like I did back then. And I know that now. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, I want to leave you with this verse that really touches my heart whenever I think about the hard times I had to go through to get to where I am. It's Romans 8.18, and it says, the pain you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that's coming. Thank you. I'm not even going to try to follow that. So all I'm going to say is uh, if you have any questions about uh, Young Life, either ways you can volunteer, support us, uh, be a part of it, be a prayer warrior, whatever it may be, uh, feel free. I'm going to stay for the service, and you can talk to me afterwards um, or answer any questions that you may have. But I just want to thank you again for everything that um, you guys have done, this congregation alone. Um, Pastor Richard was telling me every time you guys check in on Facebook for this whole month, a dollar has been going to Young Life. Um, so please do that if you want to keep supporting. Um, and thank you so much if you already have. So I'm going to leave you with a verse that I always think of when I think of uh, the adventure that it is to start a relationship with Jesus, and that is uh, John 10.10. 10. It's one of my favorite verses and one we talk about with the kids a lot, and that is, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Thanks so much. Father, thank you for this time that you allow us to be in your house, to hear your spoken words being interpreted by our minister, who by the Holy Spirit is given to lead us down the path of righteousness. Please be with our military people around the world who are protecting us, saving our freedom so that we may enjoy Christ in your house. 
Now at this time, let us give back a portion of that which you have so abundantly and generously offered to us. This I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
As I was listening to the choir sing a variation of that old hymn, I had a picture in my mind of my father laying on the bed when I was little, lifting me up in the air like I was flying like Superman, but at the same time knowing that I could rely and count on him not to let me go. I want to uh, go ahead and encourage uh, our children to go ahead and make their way to Children's Church. There it is. And everyone else to go ahead and make their way over to James chapter 3. Children, you're dismissed to Children's Church. Everyone else, take your Bibles and turn over to James chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. We're continuing our series this morning talking about a vibrant faith. And while you're making your way there, if you haven't already, you can take your phone off of airplane mode, check into Facebook, a dollar will go to Young Life this month, put your phone back on airplane mode after that, and then uh, if you got further questions, I know uh, Young Life always has a lot of fundraisers going on, there's ways for you to get involved uh, in serving in that organization, so make sure to talk to Drew on your way out. This morning we're going to be talking about a vibrant faith, a faith that is mature. When we look at and, and are trying to diagnose in our own lives, are we growing in our faith? Are, are we making progress? Uh, here, James gives us one of the, the clearest and most important indicators of if we were going to take a look at the mirror of our life and try to figure out, are we, are we growing? Are we maturing? Are we making progress in our faith? James tells us is that one of the surest ways to be able to do that is to look at what we say, but how we control our tongue. And so this morning we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I want to encourage you to stand with me as we read together. James chapter 3. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that you will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell." Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing comes out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine 
produce figs. Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would so fill and transform our life that it would be evident in every aspect of it. Lord, we pray that as we are here to gather together to bring glory and honor to your name, to worship you, we pray that everything that comes from our mouths, not only in song and as we preach your word, but in the words of our everyday life, that each of them would be an act of worship to you, a reflection of your truth and love. And Lord, we pray that ultimately, as our mouth guides the direction of our heart, that you would be Lord of it all. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Here, James is describing for us a picture of what a mature faith looks like. Or if you wanted to look at the reverse, how do we know that our, our faith needs some work? How do we know that we need to grow and mature in our faith? Well, James describes for us an immature faith that's first and foremost indicated by an uncontrolled tongue by an uncontrolled tongue. Throughout this chapter, it is rich with all of these word pictures that James gives us that helps us to visualize what it is like to have a mature or an immature tongue. And here in just the first couple of verses, in verses 3 through 5 and then 7 through 8, James gives us three pictures that demonstrates what it's like to have an immature tongue. It's like a horse, that is unbridled. It is like a ship without a rudder. It is like an animal that has not been tamed. And I think out of all of these, probably most of us would be most familiar with the idea of having an animal that has not been properly trained. How many of you here have ever had a dog or a cat or some kind of pet that you train? Raise your hands. Most of us, right? Most of us know the picture of what it's like to, to come home from a long day of work and you, you have that new puppy or whatever and, and you think that you've trained that dog how to stay in the house and then you find this. <laughs> or perhaps you're doing the housework and you're, you're kind of vacuuming and, and you're bending down to pick up that toy that your son you know, put under the couch and then suddenly you found your secret hiding spot. Or you're trying to get ready to go, rushing to get to church, trying to get your makeup on, and, and then you go and you're like, where did my lipstick go? Oh, you found it. Or that time where you walk in and suddenly your dog spins around and is like, did I do that? <laughs> See, we all can understand what it's like to have a, a pet that is not tamed, that doesn't have control over its behavior and its natural body functions. But at the same time, all of us, while we understand the nature, we understand where it's coming from, we also all understand that for the long-term health and sanity of the family, that pet's gotta be trained, right? I mean, 
it wouldn't take too many times coming home to that couch for I said, if we don't get this dog trained, we're getting a new dog. We don't just say, oh, that's what dogs do. Oh, that's what cats do. We say, yeah, that's their natural nature, but they need to be trained. I think one of the first principles that James is teaching us is, is that all of us bear personal responsibility for what we say. That if we're going to grow and mature in our faith, if we're going to learn to control our tongue, it, it first begins by each of us recognizing that while we may not be able to control all of the circumstances around us, we can't control what other people say, we can't control what other people do. There is only one person in all of the world that controls what comes out of our mouth. And that's each of us. And too many times we try to make excuses for ourselves to shift off the blame of why we don't have control over what we say. Have you ever been guilty of thinking or even saying, well, I said that because they made me so angry. Or if they hadn't provoked me, then I wouldn't have said this. Or perhaps you've even fallen to that pattern so many times that you just say, well, that's just me. I'm just a blunt person. I just say it like it is. I don't sugarcoat it. That's just my personality. You take it or leave it. You see, what James is telling us is that there is no excuse for what comes out of our mouth if it's not in love, if it's not in grace, if it doesn't exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, which is, right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and bluntness. No? Self-control? That ultimately, there is someone who is in control of the rudder of our ship. That ultimately, someone does have their hands on the bridle. The question is, is it the Holy Spirit? Is it our uncontrolled emotions? Is it even the influence of Satan? It begins by us recognizing our maturity, our growth, and our faith begins by recognizing that we are responsible and that we have to control what we say. An immature faith is indicated by an uncontrolled tongue. It's also indicated by a destructive tongue. Go back and look with me in the latter part of verse 5 through 6. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Over the last year, we have seen some of the amazing destructive power of fire, whether it is the erupting volcanoes in Hawaii or the wildfires that swept across California and the West. I myself have lived through two of the biggest natural disasters to hit our nation in its history. I moved from Springfield, Louisiana, which experienced the greatest flood in the history of the state, 
and then also lived through Katrina during the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I can remember back to that time when I went back to the home that I had grown up in my entire life. I had moved to Long Beach, Mississippi when I was one years old. And for those of you who have lived in a town your entire life, you know when that's your home, when you've lived there forever, you know it like the back of your hand. They could have blindfolded me, put me anywhere in the city, and I would have been able to tell you exactly where I was before Katrina. I can remember walking down Main Street, and this is what it looked like. Basically, everybody's houses, everybody's businesses, all shoved up into one area. I told you that you could put me anywhere in the city and I would know where I was until the city looked like this, when I could walk two blocks south of the railroad tracks towards the beach, I'd look around in an area that I had lived my entire life and I wouldn't be able to tell you where I was because the only thing left of the buildings was the staircases leading up to it. Literally, the entire thing was picked up off of the slab and all pushed into one pile. This is where I had my first birthday party. They had a big ball pit right in front of the McDonald's where my dad took a bunch of quarters and nickels and dimes and threw them into the balls until McDonald's decided that ball pits weren't a good idea anymore because they were too hard to clean. But we would go diving in the balls and finding the change. And in case you didn't notice, um, the playground was in the front and it's just nothing but a slab in that picture. This is a restaurant we used to go eat at. Nothing but the bar stools left. My church was just a couple blocks off of the beach. Four or five hundred people every single week would gather together, and it was an absolutely beautiful sanctuary. They had these huge oak beams that came together in a semicircle that came up to a skylight in the steeple. Within a week after the storm, I was able to go south of the tracks, and you could see straight through to the water. There was nothing but the oak beams and the steeple left. You know, even these, these pictures, it's hard to describe the, the gravity of the destruction unless you've actually been there. Many of you have experienced something similar, having been in a town that experienced a devastating earthquake. But to be able to, to understand the level of destructive force that these natural disasters can bring upon us is something that is very sobering. But here, James is, is comparing the worst of the destructive power that nature can bring. He's comparing that to the destructive power of our words. That ultimately, what we say can have the impact that the worst of nature can bring. That our destructive words can take a lot of different forms. It can take the form of lies, saying anything that isn't true. And while many times we ended up spreading lies and, and not knowing that they aren't the truth, the, the fact is, is that all of us are responsible for 
what we say. And I want to encourage you, next time you see something on Facebook, before you hit the share button, maybe you should figure out if it's true or not before you start spreading it. Before you go to your neighbor's house and you share the story about so-and-so, maybe we should be asking ourselves, is what I'm saying actually true? Because when it comes out of our mouth, we're now taking ownership of that statement and the truthfulness of it. Perhaps it's not lies, just needless or constant criticism. You know, when your wife has been working hard all day long at the house and you know, she's done her best to try to get the laundry done and, and to try to do the dishes, but then you walk in and, and you know, within the midst of trying to do everything, she realizes that she forgot to put in dinner late and you're going to have to eat supper at 8 o'clock at night, and so you're bent out of shape about that, and if it's not that, then the next day it's something with the kids, and if it's not the next day, it's the dishes aren't done, and it's not anything real big, not anything real significant, but just that constant drip of criticism can just wear a person down. Perhaps it's slander, hatred, or racism. Or you take any of that, do it behind someone's back, and now it's gossip. But ultimately, words can destroy it can destroy someone's self-confidence, rob them of joy, discourage them from service, create distance in relationships, and demoralize morale. But you know what? I think one of the most powerful statements that James makes in this entire passage we find at the end of verse 6, and, it's, and is itself set on fire by hell. What is James saying here? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. And what he is saying is that when we don't have a controlled tongue, when we don't, aren't careful in what we say, when our words are used to destroy relationships and to discourage people, that ultimately that can be a tool that Satan uses to do his work. That even as Christians... What we say can be used as a tool of hell to discourage people from coming to the gospel, from destroying their joy in life. That ultimately, that saying that we used to say is kids, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will do no damage, just is a lie. They can leave us as broken as the pictures that we saw. An immature faith, it's indicated by an uncontrolled tongue, by a destructive tongue, and finally it's indicated by a hypocritical one. Look with me in verses 9 through 12. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, my brothers and sisters. These things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. 
Here again, James is giving us so many word pictures that helps us to understand the conflict between claiming to be a Christian, yet not having Christ-like things come out of our mouth. Have you ever put something in your mouth, something you drank, something you ate, and it, it just, it completely surprised you? It's not what you thought it was going to be. I think my kids' new favorite holiday is April Fool's Day. They want to make April Fool's Day every day of the year. They go and they do some little prank and they say, April Fool's, and my wife and I keep saying, April Fool's is one day a year, April 1st. Of course, I think they got it from my wife. A couple years ago, she played uh, a prank on me. Uh, she used to bring me a cup of coffee every now and then in the mornings. And uh, if you know me, I'm not exactly a morning person. Uh, sometimes I'll jokingly say, I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth until I get a cup of coffee. Of course, I know James would disagree with that. <laughs> but I remember one particular day, I was kind of groggy. I was trying to get up. Ashton brings me a cup of coffee. At least I think she does. And I go and I, I take a sip and I almost spit the thing out all over the, the bed. And I'm like, what is that? Turns out she went and on April Fool's Day, took a glass of water and put in some food coloring and put in some cream, and it was just, it looked exactly like a cup of coffee. But it's not all ex what I expected. And here, James is, is giving us this picture of something that on the outside looks like what we think it is, but then on the inside, when you go a little bit deeper, then suddenly something else is revealed. I mean, can you imagine taking a, an apple and biting into it and the inside is an onion? That ultimately, like, what's on the outside is not the picture of what is on the inside. And, and here, James is giving us that same picture. It's like, if, if you go and, and you take water from a spring well, you don't expect for it to be salt water. And you can't get fresh water and salt water from the same spring. That you can't get figs from an olive branch or olives from a fig tree. That ultimately this idea that we can claim Christ, that we can come together as Christians and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, while we're at church on Sunday morning and be gossiping by the time we get to lunch after church, is incompatible with our faith. That ultimately, that if we are believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that what should come out of our mouth should be a reflection of God, a reflection of His love, of His grace, of His compassion, of His truth. When the world peels back the exterior layer of our life, what do they find on the inside? Well, the Scripture tells us that the surest way to know what is in our heart is to listen what comes out of our mouth. And that ultimately, we cannot grow as believers, we cannot mature in our faith while we continue to let our emotions and even the influence of Satan hold the rudder of our life. 
that if we're going to be a witness to the nations, we cannot produce salt and fresh water from the same spring. That we cannot produce the fruit of the world and the fruit of righteousness when we are connected to the vine of Christ. Ultimately, James is sharing one essential truth, a strong indicator of a spirit-led faith is when our words are controlled by the spirit rather than the flesh. That when we say, Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of it all. Every part of our life, everything that we do, and everything that we say. And we should be asking ourselves the question, would Jesus have said that? Would that come out of his mouth? Are we speaking for him? During this time of reflection, we should go back as James tells us to just a few chapters before and take a look in the spiritual mirror and ask ourselves, are my words honoring God? Are they pointing people to him? Are they building others up? Are they demonstrating God's love, grace, and truth? When the world peels back the exterior of my faith, what do they hear when they hear me speak? During this time of invitation, as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I believe that the Holy Spirit's calling each one of us to say, as Jesus is Lord of my life, I'm going to follow him in every area of my life. That I'm going to commit in everything that I do and everything that I say to bring him honor and glory. We're going to have a word of prayer, and you respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, knowing that in so many ways, we fall short. But Lord, we know that it's not within our power, but within the power of the Holy Spirit within us to do a work in our life that we can't do in ourselves. God, help us every day, in every moment, to be slow to speak, and when we do, to speak knowing that we are speaking for you. Let our words point others to your love. May our words build others up, bring you honor and glory. And Lord, I pray that each of us would search our own hearts, and in the areas where we've lost control, where we've allowed 
destructive and unproductive words to come out of our mouth. Lord, help us to repent. Lord, help us to understand that it shouldn't be this way. Help us to go and to make amends. But Lord, we, we thank you that we can come to you even in the midst of our failings and that through our weakness you can be made strong. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.